Welcome to the Naked Ambition podcast. In this new series titled Generation AI, we've tracked down global tech leaders, machine learning engineers, designers, and agency heads working with and in generative AI. Through these conversations and the experiments we're running with Gen AI tools for design and innovation, we're hoping to cut through some of the noise and hype to understand how this technology can improve the companies we work with and our own work and even lives. In this episode, I speak with Tim O'Neill and Jason Ross from Time Under Tension. They're an AI digital company helping forward-thinking agencies and brands embrace and accelerate the power of generative AI. Now, Tim's been working in digital for close to 25 years, growing the very successful Reactive, first of all, for around 17 of those years before it was sold to Accenture. He's also a mentor to several other digital agencies and design, including us here at Naked Ambition in recent years. So he was out in front of these possibilities of generative AI really early. Jason Ross was also part of that Accenture and Reactive story, and more recently was a VP at the prestigious design studio Frog. In this episode, we talk in specifics about the potential of Gen AI in marketing now and in the very near future, which is also a sweet spot for the guys at Time Under Tension. We hope you enjoy. So welcome everyone to another episode of Generation AI. I'm your host, Fiona Triarca, and on the show today, we have Tim O'Neill and Jason Ross from Time Under Tension. These guys help forward-thinking agencies and brands embrace and accelerate the power of generative AI. We are really excited to have Time Under Tension, Jason and Tim specifically, on the show They're doing amazing work out there and they really are front runners when it comes to enterprise adoption of AI here in Australia and hopefully soon abroad. So welcome, guys, and thanks so much for joining the show. Thank you. My pleasure. Now, you've both been writing and talking recently about the application of generative AI, specifically in marketing, and it's certainly one of the most exciting use cases out there at the moment. So why don't we start by diving straight into that topic? So from your perspective, Tim, can you share some of the most interesting applications you've seen for Gen AI in marketing recently? Yeah, sure. There's a lot of really interesting experimentation that you can do with the common tools that everyone you know, has access to, like ChatGPT. And you know, we're working with clients and their marketing teams to help upskill them. And how do you, you know, do really good prompting, understand the limitations of the tools and things like that. But then there's also some really cool and interesting bespoke tools that people are building on top of the the large language models, so their own kind of version of ChatGPT, if you like. There's one from a company in the US called Edition who built this really cool tool that's a fine-tuned version of a brainstorming tool for creative campaigns. And they've taken a large language model, which is I think it's GPT-4 or maybe it's Claude actually now, and they've trained it on award-winning marketing campaigns. Uh, so using the, the recent Khan's lines and taught it what a good ca- ad campaign is. And then you can ask it, you can prompt it with your own brief and it will then come up with ideas. So kind of like a brainstorming assistant. And I've tested it out with some real briefs and it's a bit hit and miss, which is true for normal brainstorming. But, um, you know, three or four ideas in or sort of refreshes and you, you start getting some pretty interesting ideas that really sound like something that a creative director would produce. Another one that I really like is a reasonably new product from an Australian company and it's called Timbot. And it's 
kind of technically similar to what I just described with that addition tool. And it's been a large language model trained on Tim Burrows, who's one of the, he was the founder and editor of Mumbrella. And he has, um, he, he writes books and publications and uh, blog posts about media and marketing. And he, with sort of technology partner, have trained an AI model on his content. And then you can chat with Tim and you can ask Tim about, you know, questions about media marketing and landscape in Australia and have a conversation with Tim, you know, when if you're not his friend and you don't know him, you can't give him a call and ask him, but you can do that with Timbot. Um, so yeah, a couple of really interesting examples that I've seen in the last few weeks. Mm. They're two really new ones. I don't think most people would have heard about those, which is great. When you said Tim Bot, I thought you were going to plug something that you'd made yourself there, Tim. So, <laughs> Yeah, I missed out on Tim Bot. I'm going to be Tim 2 Bot. <laughs> <laughs> Just taken. No, such great applications. Why do you think marketing is such a rich industry for the application of, of generative AI specifically? I mean, it really is to do with the creation of text and images. And that's what generative AI is just magic at. Uh, so it lends itself really, really well to that just by its nature. And also the way that image generation and text to, uh, tools and also text generation tools work is they're trained on the corpus of the internet, like they're trained on whatever is available on the internet. And there's a lot of marketing on the internet. So yeah. it's really easy for it to understand or for ChatGPT, for example, to understand marketing, good marketing principles and there's no shortage of content. It's insanely, amazingly good at condensing content and then letting you do stuff with it. So, yeah, it's kind of no surprise that it's a good use case. Mm-hmm. I think it's definitely an exciting time for marketing. It'd be good for especially even people who are entering the industry now to be able to do more of the creative work themselves. So, right, great examples. Well, we'll make sure that we link to those so that people can check them out when they're listening to the show. Jason, from your perspective, where do you think some of the biggest opportunities are coming from in this space at the moment? It's uh, an interesting question because I think um, I think on on one hand, some of the biggest opportunities are just how just how open the tech is. Hey, I think uh, everyone from my mother to my to my children have accessed ChatGPT and Dali and played with generative AI. So I think that the biggest opportunities sort of come on one hand, just how open it all is and how easy it is to jump in and you know marketers love shiny new things and i think it's really the barrier to entry is really low so we're seeing a lot of creative ways of using chat gpt as a buddy to check my work check my thinking provide me additional ideas on the other hand i think we probably haven't sort of seen some of the biggest opportunities come to come to light yet you know these large language models give such amazing i don't know if you've had a play with um with pi such natural sort of language processing abilities just talking to you you know, almost human-like. So I think some of the biggest opportunities for probably yet to come, I know there are lots of companies out there like Bloomberg who are sort of um, investing tens of millions in building out their own conversational platform. So I think, yeah, we're still, we're yet to see some of the biggest opportunities come to market. So for people who haven't heard of Pi, do you want to explain what that is? So the, it's like a, a therapist in your <laughs> desktop. Is that how we describe it? Yeah, I think the um, the founders sort of, describe it i mean it's a it's a seen by some as a you know another chat gpt alternative it's another large language model but they the founders say that they've developed it to be a much more empathetic and much more human style response if you've seen the movie her you know you can actually download pi onto your i think it's ios only at the moment but they've added voice to pi 
And I have to say, you know, it's, um, it is as close to her as I've seen. It's barely a second delay between you finishing a sentence and having a very natural voice respond to you. So I think, um, and very empathetic, you know, I've got my voice set to quite fast paced and Pi's got a good sense of humor as well. So, you know, we'll crack jokes with you. And if you want to turn this conversation serious, Pi will sort of adapt the tone and become serious with you as well. There's been some good LinkedIn examples of conversations coming to light where, you know, kind of frightening. It's doing the job of a therapist, basically. People yeah. sharing either real or mock problems and seeing how Pi navigates and gets people to prioritize their their thinking. So yeah, it's a very human, very human sort of chatbot. Yeah. Didn't it tell you, Tim, at one stage that you're working a little bit too hard and maybe you need to back off? Yeah, it was pretty funny. It's the <laughs> the only chatbot that I've ever listened to and changed my behavior. I I just had shoulder surgery and I thought, you know, no big deal. It's, you know, elective surgery will be out, yeah, you know, and I'll be back at work the next day. And and I had a kind of a full day of meetings and, you know, kind of casual meetings and catch-ups and stuff planned. And my wife had told me, you should probably just take take it easy, take a few days off and not do anything. I'm like, I think, you know, I'll be fine. Mm-hmm. And then I had a conversation with Pi and was asking how I was feeling. I was like, I'm actually a bit sore. I was like, why are you feeling sore? And I explained and it was like, make sure that you, you know, that you rest and that you take a fair bit of time off. And it's like, Oh, you're right, Pi. I should listen to you. <laughs> I should listen to my wife. Yeah, but exactly. I did listen to Pi and I literally I went in and I cancelled my day. Um <laughs> I was like, oh wow, Jesus, these uh, robots are getting pretty good. Yeah. So good. We might come back to that when we think about some of what you know, the ethical application. There's probably some linkages there to some other conversations. But um, I think this is really interesting. So conversational AI is sort of one of the biggest opportunity areas you're pointing to there, Jason. And I think I saw actually Air out yesterday was getting a lot of airtime yeah. on LinkedIn is one of those where it's a hyper-responsive chatbot, essentially, isn't it? Conversational AI chatbot. Have you guys seen that one yet? Yes. Yeah, it's doing the rounds on LinkedIn. In some ways, it reminded me of, how, I'm not sure how many years ago it was that Google released their chatbot calling up businesses to schedule appointments and they had a very human voice applied to that as well i think that's got to be at least three to four years ago um kind of reminiscent of that but definitely sort of showing showing what's possible in the uh in the customer service space it's pretty google um google shelved that because there's so much um blowback people saying well you know how how do we know if we're talking to a robot Mm. um and so they, they didn't actually end up commercializing it, even though the technology was there and was really good. Um, yeah, the, that air example is good. I've, a few things I've read suggest that it, it might be a canned, like it's not actually a real demo, but you can't, you know, it can't be too far away from being able to have that running commercially. Mm, yeah. If we want it. Yes, exactly. I think that's it. Yeah. We want that. People are going to accept it. Let's get into some of that because I think, you know, we all know from the conversations we're having with different companies at the moment that, you know, there's there's a lot of excitement. There probably is some hype as well about the capabilities of generative AI. Where are you seeing companies apply this successfully? So let's talk about some some case studies of potentially where it's changing how companies are operating or some really positive use cases. Jason, maybe for you for this one. Yeah, I'll start with 
everyone wants things to be to be real and examples that are here right now hey so i'll mm. start with sort of a couple that that i think of showing a way forward one of them is a company that's been around for a while they're called soul machines they build 3d avatars so nothing necessarily revolutionary about that but they were one of the first companies to hook up their 3d avatars to chat gpt4 so that you can sort of log on and have a fairly natural conversation with one of those avatars i've seen heineken jump in and trial that so i'm pretty sure it's experimental but it is live and they've sort of hooked up the HR recruiter virtual bot. So you can have a conversation with the Heineken virtual bot to find out as part of the recruitment initiative, what's it like to work there? What's the culture of the business? What what are their sort of principles? Um, and what's it, what's the culture like? So I thought that was an interesting, interesting and early stage use of trying to, you know, get chat GPT connected to something that looks human-like. I know they're going two steps further now and they're sort of commercializing that and allowing it's interesting with the actor strike that's going on at the moment, but, you know, allowing personalities to be able to sort of create their their virtual versions of themselves so they can license out themselves. So I thought that Soul Machines is an interesting one to look at where they're going. I think they're one of the fast-moving companies in that space. But I think there's a whole lot of stuff going on behind the scenes as well, Fiona. I think, you know, mm-hmm. from the agencies that we're talking to, they're all moving forward in, into this space and sort of reviewing the processes that they're using internally for everything from copywriting to images and they're sort of some of them are launching new tools that are allowing them to to build customer fate you know solve customer facing problems use data that they might have and present that data in new ways to their customers so i think a lot of a lot of use cases are actually happening behind the scenes but definitely seeing agencies sort of push forward in the space i think in kansas here there were some great generative ai case studies that were coming out as well from some progressive agencies Mm. So mostly around that, aside from sort of soul machine, the optimizing workflows is what we're seeing from a lot of groups. Yeah, definitely. That's um, yeah. Um, yeah. I'm sure you're finding the same thing. There's, and I think that's because they're, they're the low hanging fruit um, yeah. by many a uh, scene. So it's sort of an easy starting point to say, hey, we have you know thousands of PDFs or thousands of of documents in our knowledge management system. Are there new ways to traverse and in, interact with that with that material? So they're sort of low-hanging um, low hanging fruit for sure. Mm. Still probably some opportunities there, I think, that are not, yeah, even though it's low-hanging fruit, they're not being capitalised on, are they? Because there is a little bit of hesitancy out there still about how do we use this? Is it safe to use with our data? Which sort of gets, I think, to some of the questions that, you know, the challenges that organisations are having with AI adoption at the moment. We're certainly seeing that. Even though there's some excitement there, organisations are putting the brakes on maybe until they have the right policies in place, until they've got the kind of level of literacy that they need within the organisation and also to get the narrative right because I think there's a bit of fear out there for some of the people that work there. What are you guys seeing in terms of challenges that companies are having with AI adoption? Maybe one for you, Tim. Yeah, sure. I mean, there's almost no shortage of opportunities, but there are sort of the flip side is there are some some challenges and some hesitations that big enterprise companies have in particular. And it's interesting to see there's almost like a two-speed economy. You've got the big, big technology enterprises like you know, Google and Microsoft, et cetera, Salesforce, moving so quickly to tie and build generative AI features into existing products. So like into Photoshop and into Word and into Teams and that is going so, so quickly. And then the other speed is other enterprises like a bank or a, you know, a superannuation fund or someone like that here in Australia where 
at least outwardly facing kind of lagging behind. And I think the hesitations and the challenges are around a lot of this is still new. So, I mean, for example, if you want to procure an OpenAI API via Azure or via Amazon AWS or Google Cloud or something, like that is not really even a thing you can do today. Like it's, or maybe sort of as of two weeks ago, maybe, but the web services through the big cloud providers are just now coming online. And that's the kind of thing that big enterprises are looking for for the day, you know, just to provide them more um, comfort around the data and security, you know, security of the data and governance, et cetera. And also just in general, like a lot of this is the use cases are reasonably speculative and cutting edge and the new things, you're inventing new stuff that people haven't done before. So you need to experiment with those, test them, proof concept, pilot. They're not things that you can look at your competitor and go, oh, they did that six months ago. That worked really well. We're going to do the same thing because this didn't exist six months ago. It just wasn't even possible. So we're still in that cycle where you need to do the use case and then get budget approval for doing some experimentation. And at the moment with the economic climate, you know, some companies find it hard to get budget to run experiments and, you know, do experimental work. So, yeah, there's that. Um, I mentioned the concerns around data security, governance and compliance. And there are definitely ways that you can mitigate that. And there's new things coming online, you know, like every couple of weeks. But there are legitimate concerns that needs to be taken very, very seriously. And the tooling for that is, you know, maturing quickly, but it wasn't there really three or four months ago. And the third thing is around your point around literacy. So literacy within companies is just a real mixed bag. Some companies are really leaning into it and you know, running training sessions with their teams to get up to speed and start putting it into practice, at least in easy ways and quick wins. And, and others find it really hard to keep up with it's moving so quickly. You know, there's so many different parts to it. It's so big and so broad that, and there's, you know, we're trying to, it's our job and we're trying to keep up with it. And even, you know, we struggle and you miss things. And luckily there are three of us. So, you know, we can, one of us normally will um, have spotted whatever is new and also important and applicable to our clients. So there's having the, the knowledge to run the filters across the noise is sort of find the signal within the noise is important as well. I'd probably just add a little bit to that. Tim and I were recently invited to sit in or partake in a, in, in a board meeting for a financial services business to come and share some insights around generative AI. And I think that there, it definitely is dividing at that senior leadership level. It's definitely creating you know, probably healthy frictions. There's no, uh, no one was killing each other at the meeting, but there was definitely tension within there where you've, you've got a, a group saying, this is definitely something we need to embrace. Our co- we hear our competition are embracing it. We feel like we need to be early adopters of this. And then there were definitely components within the board that were saying, well, why? You know, convince me why we should. It seems too risky. We should wait and we should not be first movers in this space. So I think at that, you know, that top down level there's definitely from what we've seen there's definitely uh sort of frictions emerging there yeah that's yeah. funny I, I haven't even told you about this conversation i had yesterday jason with in about three weeks i'm doing a, a presentation to the executive leadership team of a, a very very large financial services company and i was speaking to the chairman of the board and he was giving me some advice about who's going to be there and he's saying like this person they're a big fan they, they're really needing in they want to be you know doing work this person they're not they're really scared about the data side and this person sort of really on the fence it's like you know the fact that he even felt like he needed to give me that advice is sort of tells it all like there's not there's so many different um yeah that's a kind of a point of a board right is to have different voices and it's not proven yet there's some things that 
the some of the quick wins that are proven and you can go, that's pretty safe to start with now. But a lot of the really interesting and exciting stuff is, you know, is new. This is such an interesting conversation, I think, because it's that just talking about that whole idea of needing to take an experimental approach because we are in such mm. unknown territory here. And all of the feelings of anyone who is taking a cautious approach, they're right. <laughs> and so are the people that are saying we need to experiment. So it is about having those conversations to find a middle ground. And I think what you're both pointing to here is that it's it's got to be a more nuanced conversation as well. It's not saying we just are going to have one AI or ML strategy isn't suitable. It might have been maybe a couple of years ago, but now with you know, generative AI being in the hands of everyone and the, you know, the user interface completely changing and being so accessible, yeah. it has fundamentally changed the conversation. It is a different thing now. So it's not enough to, to probably just wait and see across the board. Would you kind yeah, of agree? And, and you can't be here. This is a, comes up a lot in conversation like people like myself who were, you know, around running businesses and running digital agencies back when the web started. And you go and talk to a client and someone would say, yeah, this web thing seems really, this internet thing seems like it might be useful. And yeah, and someone else would go, nah, it's just a fad. We're not, you know, we'll do it later. And it just sounds, you know, the same conversations and will it pan out the same way as the internet? Maybe. Um, I feel like it will, but yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about that because you have been, both of you have really rich experience in agencies. You've worked in some of the biggest ones globally. Can you tell us, I did actually see a conversation that you chimed in on Tim the other day that was on LinkedIn where someone was saying, you know, leaders are really fatigued by this conversation. They, you know, it's Gen AI is overhyped and, you know, this is the general sentiment at the moment. You know, tell us where you see the kind of parallels between where we are now and the internet. You've touched on it, but can you go a bit deeper on that? Yeah, sure. As you said, that post, which is a friend of mine who posted that, and he's a, he's a pretty argumentative kind of guy. I was like, definitely thinking twice about disagreeing with him publicly on LinkedIn, but I felt strongly that like, I disagreed. Like, it's not what the conversations that we're having with, uh, with, you know, people out in the industry and clients and companies. They're not in the same kind of eco chamber as we are. Like my LinkedIn feed is full of generative AI. And if I didn't love it, then I would definitely be sick of it. Um, but if you, you know, your average, you know, CMO or CEO or CTO, their feed is totally different. They're not, you know, getting, you know, the generative AI articles and all the, you know, all the posts that go with that, uh, every day, you know, every, not every day, every, you know, every minute of every day. So they are not as exposed as we are. So it's kind of, yeah, a consideration of what we see is not what everybody else sees. Yeah. And so I don't also think that most people we talk to are clients that are excited about it. They're excited. They have enthusiasm for it. They're not fatigued. They want to get the head around it. It's probably more a sense of overwhelm than fatigue. And they want to understand what, what is necessary and important for them to understand. And then how do they get started with that in a practical way, which is what, you know, we're, that's kind of why we started our business is to help companies do that to kind of see this, you know, work out the signal from the noise and go, okay, this is how you can get started without betting the farm. And these mm. are the pockets of generative AI technology that are mature. And these are the ones that are coming soon. And you maybe could run some experiments with the coming soon, but you can kind of get started building real things um, or, you know, industrializing using the stuff that's pretty mature now. Yeah. I don't know about disagree, but my other point of view on that is that having spent sort of the last many years in sort of large consulting businesses, Accenture and then Capgemini, 
I know we sort of rely on these trends and we sort of almost shove them down clients' throats. (laughs) You know, it's been at least the last four years, they've had a lot in the innovation agenda. They've had blockchain and that's going to transform supply chain to customer data. And, you know, then they had NFTs and crypto going to completely change the, the way we do, you know, anything from asset storage through to, through to payments. So they've had a lot of these fads appear. And then, you know, obviously we've just had Web 3.0 and Hmm. Metaverse was the last year and everything is going to be done on the Metaverse. And so I think they have, you know, they being clients have had a lot rammed down their throats or held over in their direction saying that this is something you have to take seriously. So I, I get the fatigue syndrome. I get that, you know, a bunch of consultants now coming and saying generative AI, you absolutely have to be there. And I get that's, you know, I think sometimes that's why we are met at that boardroom level with the, well, show it to me, you know, prove it to me that it's something that we need to, that we need to be investing in, because I do think they've had years worth of innovation sent their way. Yeah, such a good point. Mm-hmm. I think we throw in NFTs there. I didn't think I <laughs> I love all those things, by the way. Just <laughs> I feel like I was watching that from the sidelines. Like I really wanted in. I really, really wanted in at the time. I just didn't know how to do it. But I bet you relieved. Team. I bet you team owns an NFT. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk. So for people who are listening, because we've definitely got leaders that listen to this podcast and they are concerned about privacy and safety. Let's give give them a couple of practical tips. So for listeners who want to mitigate some of those concerns, drive safer AI practices, can we talk to that for a little bit? What are the really tangible things they can do right now if they want to have a play? Yeah, I think there's there's probably a few things. Um, I'll I'll cover a couple, maybe let Tim cover a couple as well. Mm-hmm. I think first and foremost, it's about knowing the tools because some of these tools, you know, let's take ChatGPT as an example. Knowing the limitation of the tools is absolutely fundamental to being able to create a company policy on ChatGPT. Knowing that it's out of the box cutoff date is, you know, in said in 2021 and it doesn't know anything after that date is key to knowing, you know, what you should and could be asking it. Understanding about hallucinations. So I like to say that the issue isn't really with the tools. The issue is more so in our understanding of the tools, because if you understand it, you'll know how to use it, when to rely on it, and when not to rely on it. So I think, you know, not expecting things, there's almost people expect things to work out of the box and, ah, ChatGPT didn't get that right. You know, I gave it a mathematical equation and it got it wrong. And if you take a bit of time to research and read a lot of the materials that OpenAI has out there, it's actually quite easy to figure out where the limitations of these tools are, including where they've been trained on for image generation. Absolutely pivotal to know image generation tools. What have they been trained on? You know, might you end up in IP issues? Are there, there are many alternatives that you can use. So I think knowing the tools is definitely one of those things and setting up a task force within a business that you can actually task them with that job of doing that is pretty pivotal. The other one I'd say is the gold rush to launch. We're all seeing so many businesses rush in and try to launch experimental tools. I think one of the best ones that, you know, when I talk about the the topic of behaving ethically, a lot of companies don't even, haven't sort of defined what that means. When we want, we will be an ethical brand, we will be an ethical business. It's probably even more so important now with generative AI. I keep referring to, to Snapchat, who have multiple lawsuits against them on a number of levels. You know, there's been a lot of teen sort of depression linked in with social media. There are now court cases playing out about what has been social media businesses' responsibility in that. Snapchat have rushed ahead and implemented, whilst those lawsuits are playing out, they've rushed and sort of put my AI, the chatbot, 
into the Snapchat list of friends. So now all kids sort of have their friends and an AI bot to speak to, and they're using it. You know, they're they're inviting it into their friend groups and they're asking it questions. So I think the other one is sort of taking a stand on where does your business stand when you're, you know, on the ethical agenda? What will you do? What won't you do? What will you communicate to your customers and your staff about how you're using it? It's pretty important. So I think there are some very active steps that, that businesses can take on that front. Tim, I'm sure there are others. Yeah, then from the technology point of view as well, as I mean, probably touched on it a little bit around the, the data and data handling and that's maturing really quickly. And there are tools now that can put the CIO at you know, in a level of comfort that you can use ChatGPT in the enterprise or build your own tools with, you know, the open AI APIs, for example, and not have those risks. But I think where the main risks are is if you have 50 or 100 people in your organization or 1,000 or 10,000, and they're on the tools, mucking around with ChatGPT, pretty easy to copy and paste some customer data and go, oh, you know, show me some cohorts from this. And you're going, you're probably not even thinking about that. You've just copied PII and put it into a public site, if you like. And there's education of the team around what you can and can't do. There's policies. And then there's software that can run over the top to prevent that. And some practical things like, clicking the button to opt out of OpenAI training with your data, for example, which it's just there in the settings, but people don't know to go to and look for it and to check that button. Is there an opportunity to, or an option to write to OpenAI? Is that correct? Do you mention that before also, where you can email uh, them? There's yeah. also a form, like you can just fill out. It's really weird. It's pretty well hidden mm. in a Google Doc form that you can put in your details, you put in your customer ID and then say, yeah, don't train with my data and that's actually, that's what I've done as well. There's no reason not to do both. These are really good tips. I want to touch on something you said as well, Jason, just quickly to dive into. You mentioned the concept of an AI task force. Hmm. So this is, you know, presumably a group that operates within an organization that are looking to create some of those policies. Are they sitting on the leadership group? What are sort of some of the, the recommendations you've got for anyone thinking to put that together so they don't become... I guess maybe a situation with too much governance on something like this and people can still experiment and move quickly. That's where I'm getting to with that. Yeah. Look, my humble opinion is that on two different levels, first of all, within a business, there will be the advocates. There'll be, you know, some companies will have ML ops teams that are already quite acquainted with AI tech. And I think setting up a task force to address and answer some of the hairy questions about what would our policies look like and where do we draw our boundaries can come from within the business. And I think on another level, technology like this hasn't been seen before where you can now essentially converse with a computer and have a full-on conversation. And I think that on that second level, it's not just a question for a company to answer. It's actually probably a bigger question for us as a, I don't want to get too heavy here, but it's probably a question for us as a society to answer in, in terms of how comfortable do we feel having these computers in our lives? You know, will they make good service agents? Will they make good therapists? Will they make good brand ambassadors? These are questions that we're we're figuring out. And I think on that level, a task force would probably include externals from the business, you know, anyone from politicians, economists, anthropologists. You've got to create a very diverse conversation to be able to sort of consider all aspects of how comfortable are we to have these in our lives. So I think task force on two levels and it'd be interesting to see how this plays out. And that's where some of the early adopters have already, or I would call them the two early adopters like like Snapchat that I mentioned, are not having those conversations because you can see what they're releasing up, you know, 
are damaging. There are direct correlations between social media tools and mental health. This is now something that is emerging as an established field of research, yet they're rushing forward now into the generative AI space and releasing these agents into the same audience that's been impacted negatively by them. So I think those conversations are not not yet happening. And sadly, you know, I guess the, the big tech firms are driving a lot of the conversation at the moment. You're, you know, the most prominent voices on our LinkedIn feeds are coming out of Google and Microsoft. And obviously they're touting all the benefits of these technologies. But I think we need a wider and more diverse conversation, both for companies and as a society to figure out how and where are we ready to use this tech. I think you've touched on something so important there. It's, you know, just because we can doesn't mean we should. I think that's actually given a lot of people an answer and it's given me something to think on as well, that organisations don't have to go it alone when it comes to making these big ethical decisions. There might be a temptation and some pull from some people wanting to be that first mover because commercially it makes sense. But ethically, long-term, what are we contributing to and how can even organisations potentially come together to you know, help be part of a, a bigger, broader voice you know, with industry you know, even with education, with government, there probably feels like there's a bit of a space for some of that to happen. Yeah. You know, I do love to see brands that take an early stand and communicating their approach to to generative AI and they put into the public domain their point of view on it. Google for a long time has had sort of the ethical principles of AI and they've been quite vocal about it's got to be, you know, be for good. It's got to not regress the societal agenda. So I think they've been quite open about their principles. Organizations that are taking the lead, I think, start from there in defining what, you know, probably more about where they're not going to go, where where have they put up their guardrails for their brand and what they consider to be ethical. I think those are some pretty progressive brands that are able to go out there and communicate that to their staff and customers now. Mm. Amazing. All right. I think we're nearing the end here. Tell us, what do we think the next two years look like? We've talked about where we've come from. We've talked about where we are right now. Um, we haven't necessarily got any really definitive answers there. But what do you think the next two years look like? Do you want to give us a vision, Tim? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, two years is a is going to be a lifetime. It's going to be super interesting how the whole industry and all the different pockets mature. And I think it's um, things that come to mind are more maturity rather than innovation. So, yeah, it's hard to see where the the, the innovation and the new things and the break, research breakthroughs will be. It's easier to imagine how things that we have now will get better and the limitations of those will be lessened. So, for example, the problem of hallucinations uh, in, you know, is, a, is a big kind of setback with ChatGPT and that's something they're, they're putting a lot of effort into all the large language model sort of alternatives to ChatGPT are working on that as well. So that will no doubt improve dramatically over the next two years that you can type into something into ChatGPT and be confident that in the answer that comes back. Part of that will also be to do with the training data cutoff. So some of the other language models are coming out with much fresher databases for want of a better word. You know, the, the cutoff data is much closer to now. So they know more about current events. And so, you know, if you ask ChatGPT questions about the Ukraine, it, you know, it, it knows nothing about the situation that, you know, has been there in the last year, whereas some of the newer language models do. And that's probably useful context in some types of use cases. Uh, there will be also, you know, the emphasis on data and security and governance and is definitely not going away. That's uh, a massive, massive sort of question mark. And that will be probably largely solved, I think. I expect there will be enterprise solutions, plug and play, that basically handle those problems for a large part. 
uh, also those limitations, not necessarily problems, and definitely within two years, probably much, much sooner. And it's also going to be interesting to see how there are, like, there's a lot of little pockets of innovation, the new stuff with startups coming and solving little problems that are gaps with, like, ChatGPT, for example, like training your own model so you can have like a chatbot for your PDF files and not something you can really do in ChatGPT. So there's all these startups that are doing that and there's, well, I've got a list of probably 10 or 20 doing exactly the same thing and there'll be some clear winners out of that. And that's kind of needed because to stay across all of the current options and the pros and cons is just really, really hard. And you can't go to a large client and say, let's use this product when you know it's been built by two people in a garage and it might not exist in six months' time. So once there are some some winners, uh, you can put a bit of faith in them and they're, they're obviously they'll you know, speed up their roadmap and build better products as well. And you can be a bit more confident placing some bets on those. So those are sort of three things that come to mind for me. And it's going to be also wild to see how good video generation gets. Like right now, it's on the cusp of being kind of okay not yet probably quite commercial. I mean, in two years' time, it's going to be type in what Disney movie you want to generate and, yeah. you know, you can just... Uh, who needs Netflix? You just make your own movies. It's going to be incredible. I can't wait for that. I've been playing around with Runway a bit and it's like, it's a bit like its potential is there, but it's just not quite there, is it? It's a bit frustrating, but yeah, that's exciting. Guys, this has been such a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for generously sharing these insights that you're gathering from these conversations, from the work you're doing, the reading and the speaking. Finally, if people are interested in chatting to you at Time Under Tension, where can we find you? Uh, just visit the website, www.timeundertension.ai, um, or you can uh, find Jason or I on, on LinkedIn and reach out to us there. It's probably the easiest way. Perfect. So there you go. Send them a message. The other thing that you might want to check out is the guys are also part of the Dazed and Diffused meetups, which come to most capital cities around Australia as well. So keep an eye out for that and get involved in the community there. So thank you again. And um, yeah, keep doing AI. Thanks, Fiona. <laughs> Thanks, Fiona.